what is real? In these tumultuous times, can we honestly trust our own senses, our feeble perception of the world, to be true? Is the quest for truth but a mirage, and we simply staggering vagrants in the desert of reality? Find out today on the latest episode of Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror the Card Game, dedicated to asking the tough questions such as, what is reality? Who spake his name? What lies beneath? And what's card draw? I'm your host, Frank, and today I'm joined by... It's me, Peter. Hello, Frank. Hello. You can tell I had a bit of time to write a more flowery <laughs> It was good. I was, I was quite lost in, in the moment there. I was a little bit nervous that you would dive in with, well, Frank, I think you'll find what reality is. is <laughs> Yeah, that last part of the intro was what we're going to talk about today, listeners. We are going to do an episode all about card draw. Well, let's get right back to basics, Peter. And I want to start for you with a very simple question. Why, in a card game, is card draw good? I mean, it, it sounds like a simple question. But I think it's potentially one that's that's overlooked or maybe a little bit complicated to answer. Fundamentally, when you play a card game, you need cards to play. And card draw is the way of getting cards from your deck into your hand where you can use them. Yeah, and if you go back to your first experiences of playing, even with a normal deck of cards, most games that you play have, you know, I'm thinking of poker or whist or any game like that, they actually have limits on how many cards you have. If you play poker and you're allowed to draw 10 cards to your hand to build the best hand rather than five, you immediately have an advantage for finding the better combinations and things like that. So we don't even think about it when we first picked up a deck of cards. I certainly didn't, but there's a there's normally some kind of gate to controlling how many cards you have in your hand so that you can't do whatever you like and break the structure of the game. But then when we take the next step to card games like Magic, Netrunner, Game of Thrones, and particularly Arkham, they maybe don't have as strict rules about how many cards you can have in your hand at any given time, but they also impose other limits on the player to stop you getting to that situation where you have lots and lots of cards. When you build the deck, you put into the deck the cards you need to help you deal with the various situations and the only way to get those cards and to play them is to draw them if you don't draw the card then it might as well not be in your deck so when you're building a deck you always need to think about the process by which you get the cards whether that's you just wait for cards to cycle you get a free draw every turn so maybe the cards come up like that or you put in particular cards that accelerate your draw or you plan to spend quite a few actions drawing cards as well. As this episode goes on we'll probably talk about all of those things in more detail. I suppose before we get any further though there's a huge caveat that we should mention in Arkham specifically which is that card draw isn't wholly a good idea necessarily because Every deck has normally two weaknesses shuffled into its 30-odd cards. You can be drawing to draw one of your good cards and end up drawing a bad card, and that maybe would set you back even further than if you just hadn't drawn at all. So we're going to take it as red, I think, for this episode, either that you've already dealt with your weaknesses, or, and this is a sort of theory that I've been gently brewing, getting rid of weaknesses quickly is the second best outcome to never seeing your weaknesses at all. So some some investigators would actually love if they could start with their weaknesses in their opening hand. For instance, Wendy, if you began a game and you drew Abandoned and Alone in your opening hand, I would love to be able to keep it. Just take two Direct Horror and Abandoned and Alone is gone. It won't kill any of the cards in my discard pile. So I think there are plenty of investigators that would probably prefer to be hit by a weakness early and then they can deal with it when the scenario is still fairly simple and straightforward than be hit with it right at the last moment. So for this episode for card draw, we're going to assume either that you want to draw into your weaknesses quickly or that you've already dealt with them. Does that seem fair? That seems fair. That seems fair. Uh, I have a question as well, Frank. This is slightly off-piste from from our notes, but what do you think card draw or cards in your hand represent thematically? I think more and more 
that they come to mean something along the lines of ideas and almost like a sort of Rolodex of who you know, what you know, where your where your kit is. Sort of, it's like a sort of collection of qualities and uh, aptitudes, as well as things. Because we, we've talked about this before, haven't we? When you play an ally, suddenly Doctor Milan has turned up in your study. That sort of makes no sense. But if if you think about it in terms of, I don't know, remembering what you a conversation where you had with him or something like that. It's a yeah. That that's where I'm still at. I think. How about you? Uh, I'm almost coming round to the point of view that. It represents, like you say, I think inspiration is a good word. But yeah, I think it's, it, word. it's subtly different for each of the classes as well. Like, I think card draw in Seeker is more focused on law and understanding and, well, specifically research as well. Yeah, yeah. So, so those kind of things, are, all the card draw cards in Seeker are like that. But then if you look at something like Rogue, it almost... Uh, more directly represents things that you've stolen or picked up. A bit like resources yeah. are, are more directly cash when you're a rogue. Yeah, they can be, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and, and then if, if we look at, say, Mystic, maybe the uh, Mystic card draw is it's almost like eldritch inspiration, so it's it's ideas coming to you from, from beyond reality. Yeah, it's sort of arcana, isn't it? These sort of different pieces of esoteric information that's right exactly yeah so i, I think it, it it is i think inspiration is the best word to do it it's it's ideas you've got and are ready to put into practice and that that leads to a really straightforward i think illustration of why drawing cards is good so listener take yourself back to playing the gathering and you're in the hallway and about to advance to act 3a and if the first time you play the gathering you get to that point and you have one card in hand say, an emergency cash, and you advance, you then end up with the ghoul priest engaged with you and a requirement to do five damage to it somehow, and all you've got in hand is your emergency cash and whatever card you drew at the end of the turn. So you're essentially out of ideas. You might have already tooled up and be ready to fight and go, oh, it doesn't matter, I'm ready to fight. But for many investigators, that could be a crippling position to be in. If you now picture that exact same situation but you have eight cards in hand. Whichever investigator you want to be, you know, it could be your I have a plans, or it could be your backstabs, or a mind over matter, or a blinding light, or all sorts of different options. But just imagine that you have eight of them in your hand, and you're faced with this four fight, four evade enemy that hits for two damage and two horror. Immediately, you're in a better position. So maybe it's emphasizing the obvious but more cards in hand means more options means more interesting plays that you can pull off it means you have different ways of dealing with any given situation yeah more options is always good more more ways out of a, of a situation that you're in more ways out of a dead end that you've got trapped in so yeah more options is, is good more options good, exactly. M-O-G, Mog, more options good. And, <laughs> and we see this as well. It doesn't have to be when you're playing blind through a scenario. If you're playing a scenario for the second, third, fourth time and you know what's coming up, one way that you can deal with that is you go, okay, you know, at the end of this round, there's going to be a willpower test, say, or there's going to be horror coming our direction, or there's going to be three enemies spawning, whatever it is. If you know that that's coming, you also can take a moment to think about what's in your deck that might help you deal with that situation. And normally the way of dealing with it is drawing those cards. So you can even just make a make a sort of a, an educated guess about whether or not you should draw cards or not based on what you know, which, yeah, is also important. I think we've already touched on this quite a lot, Peter, but why is card draw good specifically in Arkham Horror, the card game? So what, what I wanted to touch on briefly, Frank, is that... All card games, I guess, have a specific use for the cards in your hand, maybe beyond just playing them. So other cards or rules or abilities in the game reference the number of cards you've got in your hand. As a really good example, Netrunner, the cards in your hand act as hit points. Yeah. If if you're going to run into a, some some psychic trap set by the corporation, you want to have cards in your hand uh, 
to prevent yourself from dying. If you run out of cards, then you then you're flatlined and you die. So keeping a full hand, especially if you're you're worried you might be taking some damage, is always a good idea. There are a couple of similar effects in Arkham, or a couple of similar abilities in Arkham, where more cards in your hand is good. I mean, higher education is a really obvious example where you want to keep five cards at least in your hand. If you're hit by something which removes all your cards in your hand, or you go down to one card, before you can use higher education again, you need to spend, I mean, three, four, five actions, potentially, drawing more cards to get back up to be able to use it again. And if you don't spend actions drawing, you have to wait three, four, five turns. So it's not it's not simply that you don't get higher education, but you're condemning yourself to not use a very powerful card if you're unwilling to draw cards Yeah, for a longer period of time. And, and we also find there's some enemies, I think, that prey on or, or, or cause you to discard cards when you attack. Is it the, the Yithian Observer? Yes. Yeah. It's prey is the fewest cards in hand, and when it hits you, you have to discard a card at random as well, which is very nasty. Does it do more damage if you've got no cards, or am I thinking of a different enemy? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. you've got it exactly right. If you have no cards in hand when it attacks, instead of it discarding a card, it does two damage and two horror, rather than one and one, which is really nasty. And we also find particular investigators want to have cards, I mean, I say spare cards, cards in hand that they can use to fuel their abilities. I mean, Pete, Ashkan Pete and Wendy both spring to mind as their abilities are fueled by discarding cards. Yeah, yeah, precisely. We've already talked about this in other episodes where in Arkham, the, the dual use of your cards is that you can be playing them onto the table as assets and or playing them into your discard pile as events, but also you're able to commit cards for their icons so sometimes the use of having a full hand of cards is just that you can boost yourself for a series of tests by committing cards. But survivors like to give you a third use just to make it even more complicated. And throwing cards away for abilities is an extra thing that they can do. So, so the, these factions that are and, and committing cards, if you want to either commit or use a card, at least one card every turn then you need to be drawing a card to keep up if you want to use any more. Obviously, you've got a deficit there, and you need to build that up through either card effects or with actions spent doing it. Which, you know, for Wendy, if she wants to use her ability once a turn, and also use a card, play a card or commit a card once a turn, then she needs to be drawing at least two cards every turn. Yeah, nicely put. There's uh, something that you can get in competitive games particularly where it's referred to trying to top deck a win where you've ended up with no cards in hand and it's normally the late game of a battle and most games that allow you to draw a card a turn at that point if you have no way of accelerating your draw you're just hoping that that one card is the answer that you need to beat your opponent and a similar thing can happen in Arkham you pull off a big play and maybe commit three or four cards to a test or you know, play a series of events and empty your hand. And then you are treading water until you can refill your hand. To go back to that ghoul priest example I gave a little bit earlier, once it's engaged with you, you can't spend actions drawing cards unless you want to be hit for every single action you spend. So you are kind of pinned at that point to just hope that you draw into a useful card. You've got to have done your draw- drawing of cards ahead of time. So, so the other thing... It's worth mentioning, Frank. Yeah. Is what's referred to often as tutoring or tutors. People who are familiar with card games probably know, I've heard this term before. I think it actually comes from Magic the Gathering. I think there was a card, I think it's Demonic Tutor, pretty early on in the game, which just let you search your whole library for a card and put it into your hand. Okay. Uh, sorry, library is the, the magic term. The deck. Your deck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and this is it's a really powerful effect, especially... So Magic discovered a lot of the rules of of card games about what's powerful and what isn't because it was the first real collectible card game like that. Uh, It's certainly the biggest by far at the moment. And as it transpires, this ability to search your whole deck for any card is very powerful indeed. Yeah. Uh, And all subsequent tutors, which is what this effect came to be known as, were severely limited either in the card it fetched or the price you had to pay uh, in order to limit this effect. And so we we see some cards 
any card that lets you search your deck, we would normally call a tutor. Yeah. There's several in Arkham. I mean, Prepared for the Worst is a great example. So that lets you search the top nine cards of your deck for a weapon and add it to your hand. Yeah. So that more or less is about a third of your deck, given that you've started with five cards in hand. So you're at 28 cards. Exactly, yeah. And, and, and if we consider the purpose of drawing is to get particular cards to be able to play them, or get all your cards to be able to play them, tutoring is a more specific version of that. So you mentioned about top decking, where you might draw the exact card you need at any particular point. A very flexible tutor lets you do the same thing. I play this, and then it's just like having spent an action to draw that card that I need. So what you might find is that some decks or some factions, rather than drawing lots of cards, use tutors in order to set themselves up to get the cards they need. And then you know anything they get on top of that is just a bonus. One of the common complaints to add on to that about really high-powered, uh, high-XP purchases that you might have for a deck, like, say, the Lightning Gun, is that you'll then never see it. And that's frustrating that you've spent 5 XP on this great weapon. So if you have ways of selectively finding specific cards, the Gold Pocket Watch is another example, a way of finding it, getting it into play, and making the most use of it, I think it's hard to argue against that being a very good thing. I mean, if we look at, here's here's a good comparison. If we look at uh, Roland, Roland could take Preposterous Sketches, which is two resources to draw three cards, and he can take Prepared for the Worst. Both allow him to find a card, but Sketches allows him to draw three cards, keep all of them. Prepared lets him look at nine cards and keep one of them, if it's a weapon. So, so they both have there is a there is a similarity between them. But they're quite different in in how they they play in your deck. Yeah, so it's quite hard to actually say which is better, sketches or prepared for the worst. In Roland, because you want to kill enemies to get clues, there'll be times when all you want is a way of killing enemies, and that's normally a weapon and guardian. So, being able to search more cards for the specific answer you need is good. So, I suppose. All in all, what that what we're trying to say about tutoring is is that tutoring is a type of card draw, normally where the target card is more specific, but it maybe doesn't give your hand as many options. So that more cards good saying that we mentioned earlier is it doesn't quite work in that way, but it's still something to also bear in mind when you're building a deck that maybe you've decided not to include cards that just give you more cards in your hand, but you have included cards that give you the targeted answers you need at any given time. So we'll we'll bear that in mind as we talk a little bit more. It seems like we're reaching the point where probably we should start looking more specifically at the factions and the cards they offer. But is there anything else we need to be bearing in mind as we do that, Peter? Well, one of the things I, I wanted to briefly touch on Let's stick with preposterous sketches because I think it's it's a really it's a good card to use as an example of card draw. It costs two to play. Uh, I'm ignoring the restriction for the moment because that's you know you, you you sort of deal with that as you play. Yeah, the restriction being that there needs to be a clue on your location to play the card. Yeah, that's right. It costs two to play and gives you three cards. And I know one of the things that some people would say about the card is that it's almost like it it only gives you one extra action because that those two resources that you spend to play it you know you spent an action to gain those resources so you could spend those actions drawing cards instead and then obviously it's it's a, it's an action to play the card so rather than going resource resource play sketches you just go draw 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 and lots of people have talked about this and it is worth bearing in mind that but what you have to consider is that these cards allow you to convert a resource advantage into a card advantage, something you can't really do in other ways. So if your deck is generating a lot of money, you never would have spent three actions to do resource, resource, you know, play sketches. You would have the money anyway. You've generated the money by other means. You've got a resource advantage because you've got an economy set up. Maybe you've got Milan uh, or maybe you've got some uh, events like Hot Streak in your deck. So this... These cards allow you to convert those resources into more cards in a more efficient way than just spending actions to draw them. So when you're looking at cards, don't just consider the amount of actions it costs and the amount of actions you you know actions drawing that you get. 
consider that you know you resources are gained in a different way to cards are drawn. Yeah. Did that make sense, or did I did I did I round yeah, a bit? Yeah, it does. It does make sense. Yeah. No, no, you did make sense because the other the other thing that thinking about it in terms of if you break it down in isolation, take a resource, take a resource, play sketches, or just draw, draw, draw. That assumes that you have three actions spare. That's the other the other difficulty with that that example. It assumes that you're spending a turn doing nothing. But the advantage of sketches is that if you already have the two resources because you've been playing frugally, first action you can draw three cards and you still have two actions remaining to use those cards to do what it is you need to do. If you're drawing cards and you're engaged with an enemy, for instance... You're only spending one action to draw three cards, and if that draws you into your blinding light or your elusive or something else to get out of that situation, you've not sat there getting whacked repeatedly. Yes. You've hit it. So I think I think not only does it allow a conversion of resources into cards, which is very useful, but also preposterous sketches, and with many of these card draw things, is that it compresses lots of actions at the time that you need them to be compressed. That said, what you'll find is that a card like Preposterous Sketches, in terms of overall tempo, is probably relatively neutral. I, I, I still I think it's a, it's a good card, it's a good card draw card, especially if you've got a solid economy. But when we compare it to something like Cryptic Research, that's obviously, I think, probably the best card draw card in the game. I'd be inclined to agree. Yeah. If, if you showed cryptic research to say someone who plays Magic: The Gathering, their eyes would pop out their heads because it's it's a really good card. Zero actions to draw. Uh, oh God, is it three or four cards? Three, three, three cards. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I was I was just looking at the experience cost. Yeah, so 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 zero actions to draw three cards is is fantastic. Zero actions, zero resources. Yeah. Yeah. But obviously, we've got you're the, converting. The... You're converting nothing. Into three cards. Yeah, 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 yeah. And if if you what what you could, I think is it in in Yu-Gi-Oh. There's a card called um, is it Pot of Greed? I think it's called something okay. like that. I know nothing and about Yu-Gi-Oh. This is all I know about Yu-Gi-Oh. It's literally the only thing I know is that it's it's a it's a pointless card <laughs> uh, because you 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 play it and it draws you two cards. And I don't think there's an action economy in Yu-Gi-Oh. And every single person <laughs> who can plays two copies of Pot of Greed in their deck because there's no reason not to do it. Because you'd never you'd never not want to draw two cards for free. If you've if you you've drawn this one card, it turns into another draw as well. So cryptic research is a bit like that. You know, whenever you get it, you know, whenever you want to draw a card, you might as well play cryptic research because it'll draw you three cards. Yeah. Though obviously we have to bear in mind the massive caveat in Arkham is that sometimes you don't want to draw cards because you might draw something bad. I remember once yeah. I actually made, I nearly made one of my my teammates punch me because I, not only did I draw a last action, uh, I played cryptic research after my last action to draw another three <laughs> times. Yeah. So that I mean, you've returned us nicely to the caveat as we talk about how wonderful all these cards are and how much they compress actions and resources and fill your hand with great things. There's always going to be that speed bump of you might actually be digging yourself into a bigger hole. A speed bump that digs you into a deeper hole. I that's love it. where I've gone with this image. That's that's very... You're mixing metaphors now. <laughs> yeah, very mixed. But yeah, there is always that risk. I had, I had a, a colleague who, who always used to mix his metaphors. I think, what was the... No point counting your chickens after the horse has bolted. Was, was one of my <laughs> favourites. Because <laughs> the chickens have ridden away on the horse, right? Or, or maybe the horse has trampled them, I don't know. <laughs> Oh no! Oh, I thought they'd made a brave sort of farmyard escape. Maybe they're the ones who let let the let the horse out as cover for their own escape. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> so, so, should we talk in more detail about the factions? Yeah, and I think we should start with the most exciting faction, which is neutral. Oh faction. God, yeah, I love a neutral <laughs> faction. As I already mentioned earlier, there is this opportunity, if you want it, to spend one of your three actions a turn drawing. And you can spend all three of them if you, if you wanted to. And I would argue that at times where you can't see what you want to do, drawing cards is better than simply running around or 
trying to sort of be helpful in ways that miss say trying to grab clues when you don't have the intellect to do it particularly on higher difficulties when the special symbols can really punish you for taking tests needlessly i would always argue that it's better to do what i call set up or fill your hand and spend those clicks on cards because later in the game you'll want those cards to to do other things so that's your your bog standard first option what other neutral options are there for card draw and that's more or less it until we start uh, upgrading cards. Uh, cash, uh, the emergency cash level two gives you a, a bonus card when you play it. And I think Moment of Respite does the same thing. We do have all of the neutral skill cards as well, though, which effectively replace themselves in your hand when you play them. So that's Guts, Manual Dexterity, Overpower and Perception. They give you a nice plus two to a test, and taking tests is the core of this game really and they also give you something else if you can pass the test so if you're thinking about card drawing a deck and you're not sure what your faction has a good place to start might be at least you know four or six of these neutral skills because they replace themselves and because they give you a nice plus two boost to certain tests i think that's better for neutral isn't it yeah and would and would you say that if you saw someone and all the only card draw they had was the neutral skills, you'd still think that, that was reasonable? Um, I don't know. It would depend on the rest of the deck. I think I usually like some of the neutral skill cards. I don't tend to like really pack them in unless I'm mm. playing a particular type of deck. The more flexible the deck needs to be, I feel, the more of those you can take. Yeah. I think Lola is a great example of someone who really needs a host of them because she can always commit them to tests and she starts with a larger deck. So getting through that deck to get to the useful cards requires anything that can help boost card draw for her, really. I think Pete's probably another one who quite likes the neutral skill cards as well, isn't he? Yes, he has a, a nice stat line and he likes drawing more cards to feed to his dog. Yeah. Well, should we move on then to the Guardians? Tell me about them. I kind of feel... You know, I I don't think we're going to offend anyone if we say Seekers are probably the best at drawing cards. But I sort of feel Guardians might be it in a second place, maybe. Okay. There's a couple of really nice card draw cards in Guardian. Uh, I mean, Mark Harrigan, is, he has a card draw built right into his character. So we've yeah. we've we've both played Mark and have found he needs very little extra assistance in drawing through his whole deck, does he? It, yeah, definitely. The nice thing is because he gets so many card draws and the card draw is essentially on tap when you take a test, you can damage Sophie or you use Sophie to damage Mark to draw a card that you actually and I found myself wanting to work out what I was gonna spend my spare actions on. Because I was always, I always had enough cards, so I always had cards to commit to tests, and I then had not spent any time drawing cards, so that meant I had this spare time to heal Mark or help out my party in other ways. So I, I think the other thing is that they have a stand together, which, in my opinion, is one of the best three experience points you can spend in the game. Is it if if you compare it to emergency cash, uh, which gives you what three resources for an action this gives you a total of four resources and four cards across the party for one action yeah i just it's a phenomenal card and yeah assuming of course you're you're playing flies under the radar because it says draw two and gain two and (laughs) it it doesn't say actually you know four and four but Man, yeah. Can you imagine oh, yeah. if they did a higher level stand together that was choose another investigator, draw four and gain four between the two of you in any combination? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Or, or maybe even gain two, draw two across three investigators rather than two. Wow. There's few few cards I want to see in my opening hand more than stand together because typically all the investigators start at the same location. So a first turn stand together just to give everyone a little bit more options and a little bit more resource to get themselves set up is so good. Yeah, I've also seen Stand Together sort of maybe going into the final section of a of a scenario where you've got through a couple of tough fights, you've maybe been committing cards and you're all starting to feel a little bit battered that maybe things haven't gone as well as you hoped, you've drawn a couple of tentacles 
and it's like, oh, I'm starting to to get worn down now. And the Guardian player then drops a stand together and suddenly you've got another little <laughs> pool of resources and you've, your hand has refilled a little bit. And it's like, oh, great, I feel I can, I can handle this next bit again. My playing buddy played it, yeah, about halfway through A Phantom of Truth recently. And it just... It was just the little boost we needed to keep us going. Yeah. Uh, and then we also have, as we've talked about, Prepared for the Worst in Guardian, which it's it's like a shortcut. Uh, not Well, not literally a shortcut. It's it's a, it's <laughs> yeah. a shortcut to card draw. Uh, we mentioned before about, say, you might have upgraded a weapon, put a shotgun or a lightning gun in your deck. You know, rather than focusing on trying to draw that card uh, by drawing right through your deck, Prepared for the Worst just lets you pull it straight out into your hand without maybe having to worry about accidentally drawing your weakness. Yes, yeah. Well, particularly later in a scenario, if you haven't seen your weaknesses, you want specific cards from your deck at that point, but you don't want to be rummaging around in it as vigorously as you maybe did at the start of the scenario, or you don't have time to. It's targeted. There's one last card draw card in Guardian, so there really aren't that many, and that's the level 2 Taunt, which costs 1 and it's fast, and it reads when you engage, engage any number of enemies at your location, but you draw a card for each enemy engaged in this way. I, I really like level 2 taunt because it the Guardian normally should be engaging enemies anyway, and it's a nice reward for what Guardians are doing, which is taking the enemies onto them. I, I like it a lot as well, actually. I think it's, it's potentially a, a bit underrated. You'll often play taunt when there's two enemies, so... It goes, it's one resource and no actions to save you. It, you get the engage actions and then you get the card draw as well. So potentially an extra four actions it gives you. Yes. Which, which... And people would play the level zero taunt to get to save two actions. And this is saying save four, which yeah. is <laughs> lovely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, when you're engaged with two enemies is the time you want more cards in your hand because <laughs> there might be skill cards you want in there or you know, weapons or whatever, or other tricks. Yeah. You might that might be the card that draws you into the elusive you need to get away. Yeah, or a dodge or anything else. I've I've thought of something where we're at this point, and we should just bear it in mind as well. Investigators have a hand size of eight. So the other thing to remember with card draw is that when you begin the game with five cards in hand, and hopefully you're going to maybe play a card on your first turn, you're going to go down to four cards and draw back up to five. You're nowhere near your hand limit. You're only five-eighths of the way towards your hand limit. And you can draw up to it. And the only penalty for being over your hand size at the end of the turn is you discard cards of your choice into your discard pile. Obviously, you don't want to be throwing away wonderful cards. But I think if you've built a deck that is happy to draw cards and can draw well, losing some cards and ending up going through your entire deck is certainly better than not drawing and not seeing your answers to problems because you don't want to throw away one or two cards. So I, I thought I'd mention it because looking at Taunt Level 2, one of the people I think really likes Taunt Level 2 is Yorick because he's a survivor and he likes lots of cards in his hand and he has a particular thing he can do if he's discarded lots of cards, which is that he can play some of them back and he can get them back with his Elder Sign ability as well. So yeah, particularly because Yorick can take this card and it's a really nice card draw card for Yorick who can't take stand together. Uh, I just thought I'd mention that thing that going up to 9 or 10 cards isn't the end of the world. Well, I think that's everything for Guardian. Who do you want to talk about next? Let's talk about Rogues. Okay. We're moving now into the areas that, that there's some droughts, right? <laughs> yeah, well, the, the, again, like there is with Mark, uh, with Rogue we've got a, a, someone who starts with a huge hand size, so draws an extra eight extra cards. At the beginning of Who the game. Who could that be, Peter? Well, that, that's Safina. And interestingly, she, she's in a faction, her two factions, Rogue and Mystic, you could probably say are the two worst at drawing cards. I think that's fair to say. Maybe. Yeah. I, I, I think a lot of the factions, it's a bit of a toss up, but there are very few specific card draw cards in Rogue. And I think the ones in Mystic are maybe a bit more specific. But Safina, starting with it, like that huge amount of extra draw, that's really good. It saves her quite a few actions in terms of setting up. If you want to be playing a rogue 
slash mystic investigator who has lots of different pieces that they want to assemble, maybe a couple of different assets and maybe they want a handful of, you know, double or nothing and various events and things like that. Safina, because she natively starts with so many cards in hand, is maybe a good person to consider. I think you've said before, haven't you, that she would, you know, if there's going to be a crazy combo, probably she's a good target to run it. Yeah, potentially. I, I don't know whether I'd qualify that more nowadays. But yeah, she's she, she certainly, that, that extra boost in your opening hand is really nice for if you've put in a few high cost or, or high experience cards, you've got the maximum chance of seeing them straight away. Yeah. And and worth noting with Safina as well, she has a bigger deck, 38 instead of 33, but she draws so many more cards at the start that she's actually deeper into her deck once the game begins than a normal 33 card investigator. I, when I play Seth, I sometimes complain, you know, oh, they're so, you know, so slow getting through her deck. But actually, I have had a leg up. I mean, you're ahead of the game compared to other investigators when you start. Exactly, interesting. Yeah. And then the only card draw card I could think of in Rogue is pickpocketing. And there's two levels of pickpocketing. The level zero version is an asset. It costs two to get into play and it reads, it has a reaction after you evade an enemy, exhaust pickpocketing, draw one card. And the level two version notably is fast which means you haven't spent an action to get it into play. It has the same after you've made an enemy exhaust pickpocketing, but you can draw a card or gain a resource, or if you succeed by two or more, do both instead. And people who are fans of the show will know that I think pickpocketing level two is a strong card. I like being given a choice when I've done something successfully, and I love the idea of the choice not being a choice if I've done it very well. But more broadly speaking, I think people are a little bit down on the level zero version specifically. And I suspect, if I had to fathom a guess, that's because it takes a while to get into play and then requires you to pass a test to get a card. So it's fairly specific in how the card draw works. What do you think, Peter? I, I agree, yeah. It, if you're in a situation where you... It's almost like it's more of an evade card than it is a card draw card because it, it makes evading more attractive rather than it being something you would use, especially in the base level, especially it being something you would use to gain card advantage. Yeah. Do you see what I'm trying to say? Yeah, Yeah, I, th- I think so, yeah. Because you have to exhaust it as well. If you're faced with a host of enemies, you can't make lots of cards out of them in some way. If you have a an ability that allows you to evade lots of enemies at the same time, you don't get lots of cards for each enemy. I think if if, if I'm going if, if I'm someone like Wendy and maybe my plan for dealing with the scenario is to not fight anything and to evade everything, and actually I I, I kind of want to talk about evading more generally in the future as well because I think it's there's some stuff that's happened in the most recent cycle which has made it more interesting. Yes, but yeah, I completely agree. I'm never going to be in a situation where I say, oh, I'll play pickpocketing. Right, there's an enemy here. Uh, I'll engage it and then evade it so I can draw a card. Uh, it's only ever going to be, yeah. this makes the fact that I am evading everything more efficient. Yeah. I think there's definitely, with the level two, there's yet more scope for a succeed by two or maybe just very high agility character to be really leveraging evasion into a an advantage. You know, particularly if you're maybe using Streetwise you're getting a card and a resource out of an evasion for two resources that you've spent. You can start to let it build up in some way. The cards you're drawing give you more resources that allow you to evade more, something like that. But yeah, I think I think in conclusion for rogues, unless you bring in card draw from another faction, if you can, you're going to find that they probably don't have a handful of cards unless you've dedicated time to drawing cards. And maybe this is a good point to touch on a different way that Rogue would draw cards. One of the things that Rogue do have, normally, typically speaking, is extra actions, either through Leo De Luca or through other cards that provide actions, like Ace in the Hole, or through Schizo Tools ability. They often find themselves with these big turns with extra actions. One of the things you can do with your spare actions in Rogue is draw cards. You're not sacrificing one of your precious three actions to fill your hand. Instead, it's one of your, you know, generous four actions that you're spending to draw up. Yeah, that, that, that's a very good point. I mean, you could make the 
uh, the analogy with resource generation, if you look at Lone Wolf, that, you know, played right, it'll give you one resource every turn. Does that cost three to play? One. It's one to play? One. Oh, yeah. my word. But that that, that, that generates you a, a, a one action worth of resources every turn. You could play Leo and use his action to gain you a resource every turn. So there is there is a certain level of, of similarity between the two. But yeah. the, the same thing applies for card draw as well. You could probably do a lot worse than playing a Leo earlier on and then using your fourth action every turn to draw another card. Yeah, and if you've paid six for Leo and it works out at seven, six or seven cards over the, the scenario that you've spent extra actions drawing, you've done very well out of that. That's a pretty competitive costed card draw card. It just doesn't have draw a card written anywhere on Leo. Yeah. Moving on. Shall we Mystics. Look at the, 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 since... the other half of Safina. Yeah, let's. Let's. I think that the key card draw card in Mystic for me would be Arcane Initiate. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and I think it's an interesting card for a lot of reasons. But I think that if we focus on that ability to exhaust and to look for through three cards to find a spell, we've said so. It is a tutor. It is a tutor, isn't it? It just has a very uh, small target area. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could say that. Yeah. It's it's almost like a, I would call it like a filtered draw. If you put enough spells in your deck, it's gonna go off most of the time. There is, of course, we've talked about the caveat of weaknesses. The further caveat is that Agnes's weakness is a, is, is a spell. So if you don't see any other spells, you have to draw it with Arcane Initiate. But we, we, we've talked many times in the past about the fact that mystics want to use spells to use willpower in, in the place of their other stats. Yeah. So, so that their weakness is that they're, they're underpowered until they get the spells set up that let them do that reliably. So until they get yeah. their right of seeking or their shriveling or, or whatever it is they're going to be using, they're maybe struggling to an extent. Arcane Initiate is the best kind of card draw that fills in that gap. It lets you find those spells more quickly. Yeah, I, if you compare it to something like Prepared for the Worst, Prepared for the Worst is a one-off deep dive into your deck to find that weapon that Guardians want. Arcane Initiate is a body on the bo- board and is a repeated little search, little filtered draw of the top three cards of your deck every single turn while you have it around, which is, yeah, really, really pretty powerful. I think Mystics have to find reasons not to run Arcane Initiate, not the other way around. There's always a good reason to have it because you're almost certainly running spells in your Mystic deck. And it saves you an action a turn for a card, which is fantastic for a cost of one. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. It's worth noting that the... The leveled up Arcane Initiate, which was announced in one of the announcement articles, doesn't cost anything. It costs zero and doesn't need to come into play with Doom either. So it starts to become an incredible card option. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then I think there's, if we'll, we'll briefly mention Heirloom of Hyperborea, because again, it's a, it's a card that gets a little bit of short shrift. Uh, typically, that's not worth playing once you're set up. If you draw it in your opening hand, though, you know, you could be spending three resources for four or five card draws over the course of the game, which, you know, which is fine. So, so that means with the heirloom, there is there is a mystic then that has some sort of inbuilt card draw, like Mark Harrigan is a guardian with card draw. Yeah. It's just that you need to find Agnes's signature before you get any of the, the benefits of the card draw. Yeah. Um. So, so I, I, it's, I think it's nice sometimes when it comes up early and yeah i think otherwise it's 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 potentially not worth playing a bit later on in the scenario but you know maybe it's it's one of these classic cards where timing is everything for it it's yeah. the same as jim's trumpet i'd say if you see jim's trumpet late in a scenario you've almost missed the window for it to be useful uh, your hands might already be filled you've already done other things in terms of higher XP cards, there is the Jewel of Aureolus, Gift of the Homunculi, which is a 3-cost, three 3XP three Mystic card that takes up the accessory slot. And that has a reaction ability. After a skull, cultist, tablet, elder thing, or tentacle symbol is revealed during a skill test at your location, you exhaust it and you get to draw a card or gain two resources. So, weirdly, a little bit similar to pickpocketing, you're waiting for a very specific condition, in this case the special symbols, which mystics love caring about, 
and you get a choice, a card, or in this case, two resources. Yeah. I think the jewel's really strong. I think it gets stronger and stronger in higher player counts, where the likelihood of hitting those symbols goes up and up. It's in a faction where there is some competition for the accessory slot from the Holy Rosary and the Heirloom and other cards like that, so it's not always a given. But my experiences playing it have been that it's uh, really powerful, and I think it's so much more passive than pickpocketing that you can just play it and leave it, and you almost don't notice how many cards or resources it's generating for you over the course of a game because it just sits there doing that. You go, oh, cultist, yeah, okay, uh, I'll have two resources. Oh, uh, tablet, I'll have a card. And you, it just sort of ticks over for you turn by turn. So maybe there's a there's a little sub-theme in Mystic Cards here, which is that if you can see your card draw cards early, they're not flashy draw many cards at once, but they could provide you with cards slowly and steadily over the course of the scenario. Yeah, quite possibly, yeah. Uh, okay, so should we move on to Survivors next? Yes. So Survivors have a, a, a few more situational draw cards. So, I mean, Rabbit's Foot, really. There's, there's a really interesting... I think that it's over on Mythos Busters. There's an article about Rabbit's Foot, about how it reduces, rather than it being card draw, it how how does it go? It it kind of reduces the delta between passing and failing a skill test by providing a bonus in case you fail. Yeah, isn't it about not wasting actions? Quite possibly. My takeaway from that article. I'd I'd have to go. Have to go and read it again, to be honest. Yeah, but still, it's it's a it's a it's a common. I think you've you've described it in the past as like a second prize. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and there's uh, survivors like operating in this nebulous area between success and failure, and sometimes when it seems like their luck's run out is when they can then pull off powerful moves. And Rabbit's Foot sort of encourages you to just go for it and take tests, and it doesn't, you know, if if you're taking a test that's not vital to succeed, and you then fail it, as long as there isn't an against an enemy retaliate or something like that, you're still getting a card out of it. So it's not a wasted action. Should we move on? Oh, no, i tell you what, uh, in Survivor, just before we move on to the last faction, if we just briefly touch on Madame Labranche, is it? Yeah, and just before we do that, Lucky Level 2 is the other thing to touch on. That Just like Emergency Cash Level 2, I don't think there's there's much to say about it. It's simply that when you play this card that's already a really powerful card, you also, it also refill, refills itself, which is great. You know, I think yes. it's always worth the 2 XP. So go on, tell me about Madame Lebranche. Well, someone made a very good point that several of the survivor uh, investigators don't mind running low on cards or pitching cards in their hand into tests. So Duke and... uh, Sorry, not Duke, Pete (laughs) and Wendy are both in that situation. And actually, Madame Lebranche works really well in those decks because she gives you cards when you're you're very low. And, And also works well if you're running a Dark Horse build as well. Yeah, or Fire Axe. Or Firax, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm running Firax Wendy at the moment through Carcosa, and Firax is really the last port of call for dealing with enemies that I don't have my fun events for. And obviously the risk with Firax is that you end up in a pool of no resources, and Madame Lebranche is great for just giving me that little bump back up after I've gone broke, done extra damage, that I get a resource from Madame Lebranche, and then... I get a resource at the end of the turn in upkeep and I'm back to two. I'm sort of clawing my way back into being useful. Yeah. Yeah, I think she's nice. I mean, just what we said about survivors existing in this place close between failure and success. She is a safety net if you go either to an empty empty hand or no resources, which is great. Okay, well, should, should we move on to the final faction? The final faction. The Seekers. And I think anyone who who has played any Arkham, will be able to spot that Seekers are the faction that really have the most access to card draw. Can we start with the Seeker Investigators, in fact? Because I feel like, just from the Investigators and their Elder Sign abilities, we get a sign, an indication that this is a a faction that care about card draw. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Elder Sign, plus zero, draw a card for each tome you control. Yeah. So normally that's 
at least one card for Daisy every time she pulls an Elder Sign. It can be more than that. Could be four. Well, I mean, depending on it could be what zero. Setup is. It could be zero, but hopefully you're running tomes. Yes. Well, hopefully you've managed to play one before you draw the Elder Sign. And actually, her, her weakness yeah. triggers this as well, doesn't it? Oh, no, because she, no, Sorry? it doesn't. I was going to say her weakness yeah. triggers this, but she can't draw an Elder Sign yeah. unless she has a weakness in play. I think it's such a nice little uh, sort of tweak of the nose at us that that her weakness is a tome. So you're like, great, I've got all these tome abilities. You know, Elder Sign, I'll get a card for it. But it also neuters the Elder Sign. It's very nice. Bearing in mind what we said earlier about card draw almost representing inspiration, it's lovely and it's almost sweet that uh, the librarian is more inspired by the fact that she's carrying lots of books around. Yeah, yeah. So, So that's Daisy. Rex... His Elder Sign ability is plus two, but you can choose to fail, fitting for Rex, who we know is cursed with his luck, to draw three cards. So take a test, fail it, and get three cards. It's sort of rabbit's foot on speed. Yeah, and and sometimes, every so often, it, it, it's useful with his, uh, his curse. So maybe you pass a test, and you draw the next token, and it's, uh, it's an Elder Sign. So you can choose yeah. to fail... Remove the Elder Sign, but then also get three cards. Really potent. And get rid of the curse. We know of, of Min, who her Elder Sign allows her to get back skill cards committed to tests. So it's not specifically card draw, but it is keeping her hand full of cards. And then finally, we've heard about Norman Withers, the astronomer through the Eye of the Void. And he essentially plays with the top card of his deck revealed. So at any given time... He his hand is one larger, so I'm not sure if it really counts as draw. For I, him. I think it's actually. I, I tried to run the maths a while ago. I think it's actually better than card draw. Okay. Because yeah, his card his his hand is one card bigger. Each time you play it, play a card using his ability, it's like gaining drawing a card. Was my understanding. Because you're one. Because you're getting access to a card that you've not spent the time to draw. That's right. Yes, and then. That turn, then you'll draw the, the next card. Though you can only play one card a turn, he'll draw the card you revealed and gain an access to another card you wouldn't have seen until the turn after. Yeah. So I, I think it works out at least as good as a card draw rather than uh, as, as extra hand size. Yeah. Okay. Well, good to know. Yeah. I think that's a really powerful ability. I mean, and the other thing is, if we look at a couple of those, I mean, we don't know what Norman's signature or, or stock signature cards are but if we look at rex and uh, min's signature assets or signature cards Mm -hmm. we've got search for the truth which can potentially draw you five cards for one action yeah Uh, and analytical mind which is a a drip of cards of the course of the game for min yeah with you can already see that min rex is about the big bursts of cards draw five draw three and min is about keeping her hand up so that she always has enough cards in hand to be giving out wild icons as she commits cards and keeping skill cards back. And that's certainly how, I, how I've played Min as well, just trying to keep a hand packed with, with icons, uh, ready to help people at various locations once you get analytical mind out. That Stand Together example I gave earlier from Phantom of Truth, I was playing Min and I was running low on cards, which is not what you want to have. And my buddy came and stood together with me and filled my hand back up. And the reason I wanted cards in hand was to be supporting him with things to commit to his tests and things to commit to my tests. We've already talked about preposterous sketches and cryptic research, which are, are in a way the most pure card draw cards in the game, really. It's pay a certain amount, draw X cards. So yeah. should we look at maybe more at the other seeker card draw tools? Sure. Like Old Book of Law. Old Book of Law. This is, again, like a filtered draw, right? It's a sort of, uh, a mini tutor from the top of your deck. You just don't need to say what you're looking for. Yeah. So you exhaust it. You choose an investigator at your location. They look at the top three cards of their deck for a card. They draw it, and they shuffle them back into their deck. Yes. And, and bear in mind that most often, especially at the start of the campaign, you'll only have two weaknesses in your deck. So those three cards, it's unlikely to be three weaknesses. You almost always get something that isn't a weakness. Yeah, that's true. That's true. If two of them are weaknesses, you then get to shuffle them away. Exactly. Yeah, you you, you wouldn't have... Well, you, don't, you didn't know you were going to draw them anyway, but maybe you're playing Norman. I don't know. It doesn't work with Norman either because you'd see it on top. 
Maybe you've maybe yeah. you've used scrying on yourself and you've seen two uh, two weaknesses at the top there. Yeah, yeah. But with Daisy especially, this turns into it's a free draw every turn, which is good. Uh, yeah, but also it's In much it's the a, same as analytical mind, right? Same cost. It's a free filter draw every turn, one that can be applied to anyone at your location. So, so you know, if if you're playing Daisy, you definitely want two old book of law in your deck, and you want to get them out as soon as possible to be taking advantage of that, because it accelerates yeah, yeah. your setup so hugely. Old book of law and Daisy compared to the arcane initiate. The arcane initiate is letting you look at three cards for free but you can only draw a spell. An old Book of Law in Daisy, you're using her tome action for it, is letting you look at three cards and draw any one of those cards. So it's a guaranteed draw every time you use it that you can also give out to other people. Yeah, yeah. And then we've got, in addition, we have uh, the Lab Assistant, which, yeah. again, I, I know we talked about this earlier. It's It's two resources to draw two cards. And then it has this yeah. ability where it increases your hand size as well, which is which is always welcome in Seeker, actually, because you, as we're talking about now, they have the most card draw cards. If Rex is game. about to draw four, three or four cards yeah, with yeah. Search for the Truth, you're easily going to fill up your hand. I think it's 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 a nice ability getting the the two cards because it it it's like those neutral skill cards in that it replaces itself, but then it's another card draw as well. So it it almost makes up for the action to play it at the same time, if what you would have spent the action on is drawing a card, which, you know, in Seeker, is mm. that's not terrible either, because you like having lots of cards. We've both been experimenting with Academic Army, Calling in Favours, decks that play off these small, uh, miskatonic, traded Seeker allies, normally that cost two and have reaction abilities when they enter play, where Calling in Favours makes Lab Assistant even more powerful, as if you've just bounced an art student to your hand to pick a lab assistant that's then yep. come in for free and drawn you two cards. You're essentially paying one for calling in favours to to draw two more. Or using great. using chance encounter as well. And then you use chance encounter, pay one and an action, you get another two cards. You sort of you you sort of elongate the value for a single card. That yeah, if lab assistant only cost one and drew you three cards, for instance it could be so abused now because there are so many ways of making the most out of it. You know, it's good that in a way that it's a simple ability. Finally, can we briefly talk about a card which isn't out yet, which is coming out in the last pack of this cycle? Yes, as long as we talk about its level zero version as well. <laughs> okay, right. So, so, <laughs> so the card is no stone unturned. Yeah. So I, I've used the level zero version a few times, which allows any investigator at your location mm -hmm. to look at the top six cards... Yeah, uh, and then draw one of those cards. Yeah, that costs two. That's okay. I think. Yeah, I, I've not. This been... is an example of tutoring, right? Yeah, this exactly. A, yeah. This is a pure example of a, a pretty limited search. Uh, Twenty percent of your deck, a little bit less than that once you're actually playing. But yeah, a little bit more rather than that. I think it's it's fine. I've you know occasionally it's it's proved to be really useful. It's got a wild icon as well, hasn't it? It has. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's fine. But I think the upgraded version of the level 5 version has really knocked it out of the park because it's first of all it's added fast to the card which which is so great actionless already we're interested yeah yeah i mean if nothing else it, well what it's what it's doing what it does is it lets you search your entire deck for any card add that to your hand not only you any investigator at your location it's, it's so it's added the clause that can be played in any free trigger window so it can be played in any phase where there's a player window. It can even be played inside a skill test. It can be played on another investigator's turn, which you can't do with something like cryptic research. So it's incredibly flexible. And, you know, at, at its most base level, it's a, it's a card draw for free. So you pay two and someone gets a card. That's not really the benefit of it. The benefit of it is so they can find any card they want. And what I think, I think this is interesting. If you had a couple in your deck and you were... At, maybe a deck that could your investigator that can cycle through your deck or return cards from your uh, discard pile to your hand which i don't think anyone can do too efficiently with this card yet yeah might happen in time what you could m maybe do is reduce other people's reliance on card draw cards we used the example earlier a lot earlier on of a guardian who's paid five experience to get a lightning gun or a shotgun in their deck 
Yeah. Maybe they've only got one because they need the other experience for, you know, obviously buying stand together. Yeah. But they're in a situation where they've got one card in their 33 card deck. Uh, they need something like prepared for the worst to help them find it. But even that, it might not hit it or both the cards might be lower down in their deck. Seeker already has a large amount of uh, card draw acceleration and could play no stern and turned to accelerate the draw of everyone else's decks. Yeah. So yeah. I think what it what it maybe does is reduce other people's reliance on large amounts of card draw. It shores up your whole team in that area. Do, do, you, do you agree with that? I do, but it, it also just takes me back to this starting question you asked me, which you thought was slightly tangential, which was what do the cards represent? And if they do represent sort of inspiration, no stone unturned at any given time can be any card. <laughs> so the 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 range of inspiration is sort of out of this world. It's infinite. So you can yeah. look, look around the table and go, well, I know that there's a lightning gun in that deck. I know that there's a shriveling level five in that deck. I know that there's a gold pocket watch in that deck and an ace in the hole. In my deck, there's you know, strange solution leveled up or uh, deciphered reality. So you're sort of, it's almost Matrix-esque that you see through everyone's deck, which I think is so fitting for Seeker who are meant to be all about the pursuit of knowledge that you're really required to know what everyone has. And yeah, I can see it providing some real head-scratching moments, but I also think this this card could be rewritten. It wouldn't, it wouldn't follow the rules text, but the card could say, play this card, it turns into any other card in anyone else's deck. Yeah, yeah. And that, you know, you know, cross this card out, it becomes a lightning gun, is is incredible. Yeah. You hinted at something else that I really, I want to pursue a little bit more, this idea that if you're playing with a Seeker, maybe you don't need card draw because the Seeker can cover that for you. I think, I think that's one of the roles that a support character should be thinking about doing, that one of the reasons Min is so good at supporting other people is that the cards she commits and that other people commit get better, but also that she can ensure through Seeker card draw that she has enough cards to keep doing that. Like Those two things combine. If you try and play uh, Jenny as support Jenny, unless you're playing teamwork to give her resources to other people, there's nothing really natively in Rogue that screams out, I'm helping other people. I think it's it's interesting that uh, Min is maybe the first support seeker we've really seen. I think Daisy and Rex are both more aggressive in terms of both cluing and in things like, you know, using spells. Yes, yeah. I think you're right that Daisy can just become a spell slinger, but she also can run cryptic research and be running Old Book of Lore and topping up the entire party's cards depending on when it's needed. Yes. Uh, she can also, you know, she can upgrade into Encyclopedia and, and play the support route in that in that role as well. I, I was I was going to go on and say that, yeah. So, so what you, you could do, absolutely, is build a more support-focused Daisy deck. One that maybe uses fewer of the Mystic spells, but but packs yeah. in... Yeah, no, I mean, World Book of Law, is, is, as we said, it's a card draw every turn. So you could be powering that into any of the other players. Yeah. And then the nice thing about Five Intellect is that you could pack very few things that are actually helping her intellect and pack lots of things that help other people and she can still be a, a very respectable clue grabber with Five Intellect. Exactly. She's always going to be good at getting clues off locations, basically. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, the one one thing we've, we've, we've maybe highlighted here is that Seekers have a lot of options for drawing cards. <laughs> yes, but remember, there's there's actually there's relatively few investigators who can't take any secret cards at all. I mean, we're talking. Mm, let me think. So I mean, Skids, Agnes, Akachi, Wendy, Wendy, Mark, and Safina. Yeah, Mark, Mark doesn't need extra draw. Yeah. 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 Well, quite. Yeah. And then and then yeah. Safina and uh, William as well. Yeah. So so. Everyone else can at least take, I mean, preposterous sketches, if nothing else. You know, yeah. or Old Book of Law, all those level one, uh, oh, sorry, level zero secret cards. Yeah. So The lab assistant, if you're calling in favours into your Leo or into your Beat Cop or whatever else yeah, it is. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, although those seeker are certainly, there's, there's very few people who can't take 
any dedicated card draw cards at all. Yes, and as as we've seen through going through this list, every faction has something. If you're finding that you're not getting through cards in your deck, either you need to think more closely about when to spend time to draw cards, or you could be looking at some of these small options. Where does that leave us, Peter? That leaves us with lots of options. Yeah, more <laughs> cards good. Yeah. More cards good, I think. More, more, exactly. more options good. More options good, yeah. Well, I, I hope this has helped shed some light why people should think about card draw in their decks, and also what forms that card draw can take. Yes, I hope so too. I hope it's slightly more clear why we think it's a good idea, but maybe as a little observation exercise listener if the next time you're stuck you count how many cards you have in your hand and think about what cards there are in your deck that might help in a given situation i mean you know sometimes there are situations you kind of plan for but maybe that's a point where you start just becoming aware of number of cards in hand this is why i love higher education because it makes you think about cards in hand and that in itself encourages good play it's like it's educating you more highly by playing higher education because you gain good practice for as a player by keeping cards in hand anyway tangent think about how many cards you have in your hand let us know if we've missed any glaringly obvious card draw options and yeah if you'd like to get in touch with us we're drawn to the flame on facebook thank you to everyone who's been liking and commenting our posts we're drawn to the flame on Twitter. Thank you there too. And we're drawn to the flame podcast at gmail.com. Peter, how can people get in touch with you? I'm United everywhere. That's U N I T L E D. I'm on Discord, Reddit, Twitter. So stop by and say hello. And I'm F B on Twitter. That's E P H underscore B E E. And I'm Zozo or Zooey Glass around the place. Brilliant. Thank, Thank you very you. much for listening. Bye. <laughs>